Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that everything we do online these days creates a piece of data. The same thing is true of your customers. Ethan Kopit will join me today to talk about how analyzing that data through machine learning enables artificial intelligence to drive the outcomes we're looking for. I met Ethan through the ACPLS, and I'm pretty sure if you show up in San Francisco next year for the annual meeting, you can meet him and a lot of other really smart folks who've been on this podcast. And I've got a holiday gift for you. Until January 31st, meeting registration is only $649. That's right, $649. You can barely buy a decent guitar for that much money, but you can hang for two or three days with some rocking cool marketers and salespeople in the life sciences. Go to acp-ls.org, click the annual meeting link, and I will see you there. Today, I'm talking to Ethan Kopit again. Ethan is co-founder of Asena Data, and Asena is a sales AI company that uses machine learning to help life science sales teams have better conversations with their customers. Ethan, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back. <laughs> We're going to talk today about artificial intelligence again, and in the context of sales AI and what the world will look like as artificial intelligence becomes more common. So first of all, Ethan, what are we talking about here? Is is AI going to replace salespeople? No. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's like the first um, image that most people jump to when they think about artificial intelligence. They think about replacement. Um, but no, um, artificial intelligence is not going to replace salespeople. Um, I think it is going to replace or, or automate certain sales tasks, um, but I just think they're the tasks that no one really enjoys doing anyway. <laughs> like uh, no okay. salesperson is ever going to tell you that they love doing data entry or that they um, you know, love doing like basic lead qualification. And um, I actually think that a lot of what's changing sales has nothing to do with AI. Um, a lot of what I see changing sales has to do with the, the, the customers, like the scientists themselves. Um, I think that they want a, di a digital experience um, and they're exploring content and they're exploring products online. And ultimately, that's been something that's really changing sales because the customers always win. You have to provide them with a, the experience that they want. Um, and I actually see AI as a tool that salespeople can use to... Um, maybe defend themselves isn't the right word, but kind of make themselves uh, even more valuable and, and kind of entrench their position um, in, the, in the buying process. That's something that I'm actually going to be exploring. Asen um, is putting out this, this um, report called the State of Life Science Sales, and, and we're exploring a lot of that. So that'll be cool. Nice. So um, Dan Pink says, uh, the skills we need in the future will be the things that machines don't do well, like empathy and relationships. What are the tasks um, outside of that, of course, that AI can help with to make your salespeople more effective, better conversations with their customers? Yeah, I think 
AI is going to help anywhere that you have tasks that require a lot of computation um, and there's a lot of available data. So like you have to think about the way that AI actually works. So, so like I think of um, AI as a noun, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing, it's, it's an artificial intelligence, but the kind of verb that allows that noun to exist is machine learning. And so machine learning is the process by which somebody, you know, they designate an outcome. Like, let's say, you know, we want people to open our emails um, and the machine learns what, what, you know, features of, uh, let's say, a customer relationship cause that thing to happen. And that, that process is what allows um, artificial intelligence to exist. It's using that machine learning to make some sort of recommendation about how to make something happen. Um, and so anything where you, you, you have the, that available data to actually run those computations and figure out how to maximize that outcome, that's where you're going to see AI actually you know, helping to improve people's lives and, and make them more productive. So I'm interested in e even that opening the email example. Um, oh, yeah. How much, I mean, could a small company have enough data on that? Like, what does that data look like? What kind of data do you need and how much of it do you need to even get a, an incremental boost in open rates on your email based on what your people are currently seeing? I mean, not a lot. Um, I mean, I would, you know... Your business is is a, a small one. I mean, I mean no, um, I mean no disrespect by that. Yeah, that, that's but, um, fair. But I mean, like a, a good example would be how many emails do you think you have sent in, let's say, three years? Oh, um, I'm guessing tens of thousands. All right. I mean, that in of itself is is a really rich uh, data set right there because you can look at um, like if I you know if I was to kind of go into your email and try to figure out how to get more people to respond or to meet with you. We could look at all the information that you have in your email, like, um, you know, how many people you've spoken to and who's responded to you. And we can try to kind of speculate about why. Um, I don't think the size of the organization really necessarily affects um, the kind of quality of the machine learning that's being done. Most, most companies have as much data as you would need to actually run some analysis. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, my question was based on the idea. I, I just imagine that this would only be useful if you had hundreds of people sending emails to thousands of customers to get the kind of data you would need to, to do something. But yeah, if it's tens of thousands of emails, there aren't, there aren't going to be many people that fall out of that. Right. Yeah, and that's and I mean I think out. that's a feature of kind of the modern like sales and marketing environment is we just generate a ton of data. Um, I mean, even when you look at like what's being generated by marketing automation systems or you know what's being generated by ad networks, I mean there are just there are thousands and thousands of data points that are being produced every month. Even if you're only you know even if you're a small business, there's there's tons of information that's being generated about um, customers and how customers interact with you and your content and your business. No, that's, that's good news for everybody. I, I, I'm excited <laughs> about that. Uh, so what does it look like uh, between here and the final destination um, when adoption of AI is commonplace? What is, how, and how does that adoption take place so that it's, it doesn't feel jarring to the people who are using it or experiencing it on either end? Right, right. I think, I mean, that's a good question. I think um, the funny thing about AI is that it's not a very specific term. 
right? Like, so, so I think of AI as a little bit of like a, a platform technology. Um, and man, I wish I could be more descriptive, but, but the, the, the basic idea is that AI, um, AI isn't going to, you know, come into your life like a car. AI is a little bit like electricity, right? So like in the early 1900s, um, people were asking, well, well how is electricity going to affect business? Um, and if somebody posed that question to you now, you would just kind of stop and say, well, electricity doesn't necessarily affect business, but all the things that electricity allows us to do are what affect business, right? So like electricity isn't necessarily the thing that changed business. It's lights and it's TVs and it's cars and it's um, air conditioning units. Like there's, there's tons of things that electricity has enabled us to do. Um, and I think that is how we're going to see AI enter our lives. AI isn't going to be um, the change. AI is going to be the thing that allows us to do all the things that we already do or want to do um, but just better, right? Like if your calendar started um, making recommendations about how you should schedule your time, or if you, you know, your car starts to drive itself at certain times of the day or on certain roads, right? Like that's AI that's sneaking into our lives, but it's just taking the things that we do and making them easier or better. I love the calendar example. Um <laughs> And saving just the mental effort it takes um, to think about when to schedule something. So my calendar isn't jam-packed from morning till night, but whenever I'm having a meeting. So, you know, you sign up, as everyone does, for these podcast interviews using a service called Calendly. And it lets you see any open spot on my calendar and pick it. But what if my, and I can set, obviously, parameters around that, but what if, that thing knew better and said, you know, we're only going to schedule podcasts on certain days at certain times and other types of meetings on different days and different times. Um, and, and, and it did some of that based on, you know, my natural preferences for when I put things on my calendar and also in a way that somehow made me more productive, maybe saved larger blocks of open space for productive work and not, you know, meetings with half hour gaps between them, for example. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a super good example. And I mean, there already um, are AI tools out there for kind of optimizing your time. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the example of having like large blocks of open time, but that's actually, I mean, you know, going back to what I was saying about outcomes, that's a really good example of an outcome, right? Like I want to have larger blocks of open time, help me complete everything that I want to do in a day and always have three hours of time to just work. Um, and that, that's something that's already happening. Yeah. I would, oh my gosh. At my last real job, my last corporate job, I would have loved that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, could see everybody and, and, um, and I know there are companies that just have days where they say there are no meetings on Tuesdays ever, right? for example, which I think is brilliant. Um, but putting some guidance around those things would, would be good. Um, any other, I don't want to move on to the next question yet. Any other, I want to talk about specific things for salespeople, like right, right, right. how, how we make it their life better. Absolutely. Well, so um, I think in the sales use case, you got to look at um, things that, that um, are kind of repetitive. Um, they're often pretty simple tasks, but they kind of cost a lot of money. 
So, so one of the things that Asana does is, is we focus on lead qualification. Um, and I use, I use the word lead qualification kind of generally. So um, often when a salesperson um, you know, receives a lead, maybe from marketing or they've done their own prospecting, they try to figure out, well, you know, who is this person and are they relevant to my business? Um, am I connected to them in some way, right? They try to figure out very, you know, or, or does this person fit in with an existing customer persona? Um, and the answers to those questions are all very basic. They might require a Google search or a LinkedIn search or um, searching the CRM. But the bottom line is that they're not very hard. But often they will take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to, to isolate that information. Um, and that's a really simple example of a place where AI can come in and say, hey, based on what we've figured out about good leads for you, this is a good lead or this is not a good lead. And this is why I think that. Um, and even if the system doesn't say, you know, doesn't um, make the recommendation, but it just, uh, you know, tells you why it thinks what it does, that's a lot faster than having, you know, somebody dig through the information themselves. Right. So you could get a report and it would say, uh, you know, this person's colleague, you're connected to them on LinkedIn. Here is what we found on Google regarding this person and, you know, any other piece of data. And this person has bought X, Y, and Z for whatever reason. I mean, whatever it is. Right. No, and right? that's, that's those presenting those the data without you searching. Exactly. Those are great examples. And I mean, from a marketing perspective, it could be things like um, trying to figure out uh, maybe how to segment a list, right? Like, so let's say you're, you're doing some email marketing and you're trying to figure out how to kind of partition people out so they're getting the right message for the right group. That's another really good place for AI to jump in and say, hey, let's try to figure out why people have opened emails in the past and segment them out into groups so that they're getting the content that they actually want. Um, and again, that's something that at, at least at a pretty um, high level could be done by somebody who, you know, they don't have to be the director of marketing. It could be an intern. And often it, it is interns that are doing these sorts of tasks. Um, and those are the places where AI is going to come in and basically say, you know, again, let's, let's look at the outcome. Let's look at what we want, whether that's, you know, meetings or sales or um, best, you know, better customer service time, whatever it is, let's get AI involved and try to um, automate the simple tasks so that humans can spend more time doing what they do well, which is, um, you know, creative tasks um, or, or kind of human to human contact. Okay. I love the segmenting example. First of <laughs> I all, you would. I, I was just having a conversation with um, a friend this morning who's in a different space, but, you know, talking about the challenge of segmenting your list and I'm talking about, you know, having three different lead magnets, each of which would be specific to a particular persona and you know based on what they download you could segment them but for large companies with big marketing automation platforms and they send out lots of content where people come to their website and download different content and open emails from them and they know all that data why not let the ai segment them automatically and even move them from segment to segment as appropriate because i know the experience um, I've had in the corporate world is people end up on lots of lists or they get put on lots of lists just because you don't want to miss something and you end up sending them probably lots of emails for things they're not interested in because it really shouldn't be on that list or they once peaked at something and then they're on that list forever, right? They don't, even though that wasn't their segment, but you could be more intelligent about and has never opened an email from that list, maybe, but they stay on it. And, you know, with all that data, you could 
perhaps you know keep your segments really clean and really relevant and uh, and not annoy people and have them drop out all together because you're sending them stuff they don't care about right right absolutely i think um i mean part of what you're describing i think is is effective nurturing you know moving people through um could be moving people to different types of contents or could be moving them through the buying process. But that, that again is just a really good, good spot for AI because, um, if you're able to identify how to move somebody through the buying process a little bit quicker, um, and you know, you're able to tell, tell the machine, Hey, this is how to do that right now. We can do that 10,000 times a minute instead of doing it, you know, a hundred times a day because we're asking five different people to do it full time. Yeah. So if I'm a sales manager or a marketing manager, what should I be doing to get ahead of my competitors? I'm assuming, you know, I'm not using AI right now or I'm using it, but I don't even know it. Um, but <laughs> what, what kinds of things should I be thinking about talking to my boss about to say, Hey, here's an idea that's, you know, what's the first step? How do we get going on taking advantage of this? I think the first step um, is, is super, super simple. And it's just collect a lot of data. Um, I think we're kind of in this awkward stage right now where we're starting to see the value of AI. We're starting to see how it could be valuable. Um, and, and the best thing that most companies can do right now is set themselves up to take advantage of it in the future. And the best way to do that is just to collect a lot of customer data in whatever way that you can. Um, and, and going back to my email example from earlier, a really easy way to do that is don't delete emails, archive them. Um, you know, as you accumulate that data set over time, it, it looks absolutely incomprehensible to a human, but to a machine, that's a really exciting place that it can, you know, dig into and, and um, try to figure out what causes people to do certain things. Um, I love that example. Yeah, keep going, but I'll come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I think the other thing that you can do is, is try to look at where there are simple, simple computations that are costing a lot of money. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I just go back to the Asana example because that's what we're focused on. But if you have a salesperson who's paid two hundred dollars or $250,000 a year and they're doing basic lead qualification, um, that's silly, right? They should be spending time talking to customers, doing demos, giving out samples, um, you know, growing accounts. They shouldn't be figuring out whether somebody has the right title to fit into a certain customer persona. Um, and that's just one example. It could be data entry. It could be... Um, you know, list segmentation, whatever it is, there are, there are lots of little places where we're spending a lot of time doing something that's actually pretty simple. And if you can identify where those are, um, over time, I think we we will use AI to solve a lot of those problems. Nah, that's that's exciting. The reason I was excited about your email example is because when you first said start collecting data, I go. I'm thinking, where? Where am I collecting data like this? There has to be a system for organizing it. But when you say just archive your emails, because some machine's going to actually be able to sort through that pile of crap and figure out who, who likes to talk to me is pretty cool, right? So, um, yeah, that's because that was, I was baffled by that. Like, there's no good stuff in there. But when you tell me, yeah, if you archive those emails, you can they can follow threads and see who's involved and the level of engagement and phrases they use. I'm sure. I mean, it it adds up, right? Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you um, just based on some like experimentation we've done recently. This is a really obvious one, but um, can you guess what the single 
um, kind of most important factor is um, in terms of whether or not somebody will respond to an email that you sent to them? Uh, I'm going to say, well, first of all, they know me. Um, but maybe I ask them a question in the subject line. I'm guessing. Uh, well, you were right with the first one, <laughs> which is that um, it's basically if someone has spoken to you before for you know a, a long amount of time, we call it the the um, the conversation distance. But the larger the conversation distance, the more likely that person is to talk to you again. And um, I mean that seems super silly, right? We all like everybody knows that if somebody's spoken to you before, especially if they've talked to you for a long time. They're, they're, you know, likely to speak to you again. But um, that's the type of information that you can see from looking at somebody's emails. We can actually quantify what is that conversation distance. You know, it's not like, well, I think it's probably three months. Like, no, we can tell you exactly how long um, is the ideal amount of time to reach out to somebody based on the, the conversation distances that you've had. And also things like how long they took to get back to you um, or how many words they used when they responded. There's some really cool stuff in email. And that's just one tiny example there are, there are wonderful examples all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I, my head is spinning with the possibilities of just making your email communications better and getting better responses and then having those responses go to my beautiful calendar where things are late, meetings are laid out perfectly. Well, and that's, and that's another data source is your calendar, right? How many people actually attended the meetings? How many people accepted invites? Um, there's a lot there. <laughs> you leave a digital footprint everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, any other external data to help salespeople be more effective besides the stuff we manually put in our CRM? Um, well, say that question again. Um, so uh, salespeople, of course, ideally put data into the CRM. So I'm calling this, is there other external data to help people be more effective or are you counting the emails and the calendar examples in that category? No, I, I count those as being um, what I call internal data, but um, there definitely are external data sets, especially in the sciences. And I mean, you know, these are kind of the, the data sets that we've dealt with for decades, right? Like publications, press releases, social media is a little bit newer, but really anywhere the customer is describing themselves or their work, that's a data set that an AI can use to make a recommendation, right? It just feeds more and more features into that model, trying to figure out what causes them to do blank. Um, but I will say that I think that external data is, is kind of exciting and a little bit shiny, right? Like I think everyone is so excited about using publications or using Twitter to, to predict customer behavior or something. Um, and I think that will happen, but there are other data sets, um, mostly the ones that we sit on already, that are even more valuable. So like um, we always think of CRM as being our, our core customer data set. But I mean, I, you know, we, we've talked a lot about email and email is one good example of um, a data set where there's a lot of rich information in there and it's totally machine readable. Um, the CRM is actually not necessarily the best source of customer data um, because it's designed to be read by a human. So naturally a lot of the data is um, either uh, there's small amounts of it, or maybe it's not 100% accurate or um, what have you. But things like email, calendar, um, one of the ones that I, I go to all the time is the help desk system or, or the support system. That's an incredibly rich data set um, that describes you know, how customers are interacting with salespeople, with support people, with the brand. Um, and that, you know, 
I, I would say external data sets are very exciting and, and there's, a, there's a whole frontier out there. But also most companies are sitting on a data, uh, a data gold mine and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got me, you got me thinking about that one. I mean, the, the, of course, the customer support, um, I can imagine, I can see the, how that could be huge about you know, the questions that come up and all kinds of information that comes out of that. That's hugely useful. Um, and, and I mean, that's something you hear from salespeople all the time anyway. I mean, like most salespeople will tell you that like most of the best customer data comes from customer support. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, the, the customer support team is a very, or, or the technical support team, um, they're, they're non-confrontational, you know, they're helpful and, um, they collect a lot of good qualitative data, right. Just going into an account and asking questions, but they also collect a lot of great quantitative data. You know, what problems people are having, the frequency with which people have problems when, you know, all, all those, all that data is, is very valuable to a machine learning model that's trying to help a salesperson have a better um, relationship or conversation with, with a prospect. Right. Very cool. Okay. So I recently interviewed Shane Snow. He's the founder of Contently, which is all about content marketing, he's, but he's also the author of a book called Smart Cuts. And I, I was able to interview him for a client at a, at an event. And he talked about 10 X thinking. And one of the examples he used was Elon Musk and SpaceX and how they really think very differently than NASA, for example, and, and how, and the kind of thinking it's going to take because his goal, Elon Musk's goal, if you're not aware of it, is to die on Mars, but not on landing. Right. So, but that's how he thinks. And what's it going to take for humans to get there? So is there a 10 X leap for sales that makes everything else? I don't know. I don't know if irrelevance the right word, but is there that kind of thinking that can be applied to sales that will really change how things are done? I think there there, there definitely is. <laughs> I'm not sure it's as dramatic as dying on Mars. Um, I wish it was, but I think, you know, I pondered on that for a while. Um, and I think that the real 10x leap that's going to happen in sales um, is going to be pretty quiet, but it's going to be very fundamental. So, so maybe, then, maybe instead of describing a, a 10x leap, I'll describe to you a 10x future, which is I think in our 10x future, um, most sales and marketing tasks will be automated. And I, and I don't mean that to scare anybody um, because, like I said, I think a lot of the tasks that are going to be automated are tasks that people don't like doing. And they're tasks that we're already automating today, right? Like how easy it is, is it to send out um, an email campaign or how easy is it to run an ad campaign? It's so easy now. Um, and same thing in sales. You know, it's, it's getting easier and easier to keep track of people and follow up with people. So I think in our 10x future, a lot of things are going to be automated. But the real 10x leap is going to be human's role in that system. Because... Um, I want you to imagine what it would be like if your role was to, in, in the sales and marketing organization, your role was to ask questions, run experiments, um, and rather than act as a piece of the system, your role was to orchestrate the system. So, you know, what if, what if you could ask a question like, um, you know, which, which are the customers that I need to reach out to today? And you could get an answer instantly. 
Or, or what if you could ask a question like, how can I make our content more engaging? And you could get an answer instantly. Um, but in order to get those answers, you had to run all sorts of experiments that you could run instantly. I think that's going to be, um, you know, it sounds a little bit humble, but I think that's going to be the 10x future of sales and marketing is like, how can you, in an iterative way, create a marketing and sales system that is always improving itself? And the way that it's always improving itself is having a human sitting at the center, um, trying to figure out a better way to do things. And it's using, and the human is using machines to collect data, run experiments, analyze data, um, and do something that neither the human nor the machine could do without one another. I, yeah, the key word there for me, I think it was for you too, is orchestrate. Right. I, I love that example and, um, I love the thinking and it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I mean, I, I've not been a salesperson, but as a marketer, the idea of spending my time you know, asking those questions about the data. I mean, somebody's still going to end up writing content and so on, but being more confident about what you're going to create and how it's going to work based on data that you have and say, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? And could we do um, something over here? And getting answers from your data and having the machine learn and you get smarter at seeing, you know, what the possibilities are and choosing the best possible ones and uh, ending up with a perfect subject line. And, you know, maybe that's a stretch, but um, I, I just like that idea. It's, it's kind of uh, in the entrepreneur world, you hear a lot about this idea of working on your business instead of working in your business. And that's what it sounds like right. to me. Like, Absolutely. It's like, I, I think of it like, um, imagine if you had like, again, maybe a humble example, but you have a, you know, a human who's kind of sitting at the center of a, of a gigantic warehouse that's moving products around all the time. And um, I, I get excited and, and, you know, maybe this is the nerd in me, but I get excited about um, the prospect of having that person just try to figure out how to do things better, like how to serve customers better, how to get them the right products faster. And the warehouse itself is actually run by robots. You know, it's robots who are operating the cranes and the um, shipping containers and, and, and all the rest of it. But it's a human who's just sitting right at the center being the creative um, person who's orchestrating this whole system. Yeah, I like it. This is all, uh, it's very exciting. And I'm, I'm loving these conversations about AI because honestly, I mean, there is an element of me that's fearful of it, if not for myself, for my children. Um, and just kind of seeing where the world goes when, um, but there are aspects to it that are, that are pretty exciting. Um, there's still, I still have challenges in the back of my mind about certain things, but, um, I love this conversation. So Ethan, where should people go to find out more about what you're doing over at Asena and, I know you guys write some fantastic blog posts. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can find us at our site, which is www.acenna.com. Um, you know, I, I think we do write great blog posts. And then also, um, we're closing out the year and starting next year with this really exciting piece we're calling the State of Life Science Sales. Um, I interviewed, you know, some, some sales leaders um, and I'm, I'm putting some, you know, co-written articles in there. We interviewed about 60 scientists that's going to be in there. And we interviewed over a hundred salespeople. 
um, and we're, we're packaging it all together into you know kind of one wrap-up piece for the year. So keep an eye out for that. Nice. Excellent. All right. Ethan Copet, as always, a huge pleasure to talk to you. Really um, stimulating for my brain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk to you later.